Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And joining us once again today is the Communications Senior Advisor at the Heritage Foundation, Crystal Bonham. Crystal, welcome back to the show. Howdy, thanks for having me. (laughs) So we were all together on Sunday watching the Super Bowl, and we all watched Rihanna's halftime show together. Now this has gotten, of course, lots of attention across social media and all the news outlets. What do you all think? Was it the best halftime performance, the absolute worst, or maybe just a little bit forgettable? I mean, it was maybe the most modest. <laughs> <laughs> it did have that going. At least for in it. recent history. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So she was very covered, even her hands. She had gloves on. <laughs> yeah, it was very crazy. Hardly any skin. Yeah, no, I think that the funniest meme I've seen on social media so far is the Super Mario Smash Bros. comparison because they kept like <laughs> raising the platforms and lowering them, and it was all that that moving mechanisms going on. It was crazy. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty clever. Some of the memes we've seen. I have to do a shout out to Garnu, which we've had the founder of Garnu on the podcast, which is. Um, a great tampon brand that's standing up for women and the fact that only women are women and only women have periods. But they had a pretty <laughs> funny meme where, you know, she had that scene where like she kind of reached back and touched her butt. Mm. And they were like, oh, yeah, when you're in your period and you're adjusting your pants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> We've been there. We've all been there. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the show. And I, I kind of feel like as far as Super Bowl halftime performances go, it was memorable, but definitely not one that I feel like people will be talking about for years to come just because there wasn't that big moment. I felt like mm-hmm. there was a lot of buildup and there's always been that moment where it's like, ah, it goes crazy. Something and like, crazy something happens, happens inevitably. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I just didn't really have that. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm still sad she didn't bring Kanye out just because oh so many songs. I know. I that know. would have been so controversial. Yeah, it would have been very controversial. But I was actually surprised by how many songs like I knew and how many songs other artists were in with her. Like mm-hmm. she's collaborating with so many people mm-hmm. and it would have been really cool if she maybe not Kanye but one of them brought out some yeah. of them yeah that would have been a cool moment yeah. missed opportunity missed opportunity Jay-Z too I mean I mean she on. is pregnant too so maybe we can give her that but <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right Kristen go ahead let us know what we have queued up on today's show yeah for sure up on today's problematic women we discussed the mental health and wellness of teenage girls after the release of a troubling CDC report We tell you what you need to know. A report from Baltimore showed major drops in math proficiency. We talk lessons learned and the path forward for education across the country. And finally, female athletes are under attack by the left. We uncover how lawmakers are leveling the playing field. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are kicking off the show today with some not great news, but it's really important to talk about. So depression and anxiety have reached record highs, specifically among teen girls. This is according to a new study from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So according to the CDC, back in 2011, that's when I graduated from high school, revealing my age, uh, 36 out of every 100 high school girls reported that they had experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness 
in the past year. 36% said they had those feelings. But fast forward to 2021, and that number rose to 57 in every 100 high school girls. So 57% of high schoolers said that, of high school girls specifically, said that they were struggling with depression, with anxiety, and those feelings were persistent. And 30% said that they had seriously considered suicide. And that's a significant jump from back in 2011 when that number was just at 19%. So I want to do two things today. I think it's really important that we talk about the problem and what's causing this, but then that we also take some time to talk about the solution uh, and what are things that can get us out of this place. Uh, But in order to talk about the solutions, I do think we have to understand what is causing this, what's causing the problem. So what do you all think? Why do you think that so many, specifically teen girls, more than half, according to this report, nearly 60% are struggling with anxiety and depression? What are the root causes here? Well, so I kind of looked at at the report and I, I looked at the National Institute of Mental Health as well, just because obviously they've been tracking this for a while. And one thing that they really keyed up on and really leaned into as an explanation is there are so many new channels nowadays for young women and, and I mean, even adolescent children who have access to iPhones. Mm. There's so many new channels for them to compare themselves to others, yes. for them to cyber bully, um, which is a type of trauma. I know Crystal and I have talked about childhood trauma a lot. And, <laughs> and that, that is definitely something um, that they're kind of more susceptible to now just because of how much more access they have to each other. And this report specifically said that there is usually some sort of victimization um, or bullying or cyberbullying that contributes to these feelings of um, depression and that social media has largely contributed to that. A hundred percent. I mean, one of our colleagues here in our big tech center at Heritage refers to, I forget exactly what he says, but TikTok is like fentanyl for for kids, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and it's for our brains, right? And, and same thing, right? Think about middle school, high school. It's just such an awkward time in your life anyways. Mm-hmm. And you're already, you already have imposter syndrome. Your body's changing. You're unsure of yourself. You're trying to like fit in with people and make friends. And then now you add on all of the different layers of social media and, and TV and all the things it's way worse than we were in high school, yeah. right? It just because the pure magnification of Instagram, TikTok, all these other platforms. And so it's honestly depressing, but not surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because it, it does so feed the comparison. And I think about how when I was in middle school or when I was in high school, you know, you naturally are comparing yourself to your peers and you're thinking, oh, you know, this friend, you know, is always carrying really nice handbags and gosh, like, my family Stuff. can't afford to buy me those really nice designer handbags. or But it just heightens it because it's like, oh, this friend also, you know, her family could afford to go on vacation to Hawaii over spring break. My mm-hmm. family couldn't afford that. Or, oh, my gosh, they all, all these girls had a sleepover over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I wasn't invited to that. Like, there's so many layers and mm-hmm. levels and room for comparison and room to feel bad about yourself. And I, I think Instagram is is fun. I enjoy posting on it. And it, it can be inspiring. I, I've actually learned some really cool things from Reels. So there's a space where it's great. But honestly, I, I feel like no one should be allowed on it until they're like in college because it, it just isn't <laughs> helpful. It, it's yeah. not helpful at that age when you're developing. And it's tough too. I mean, I don't have kids, so I, I can only you know imagine what the struggle must be like for parents. But trying to teach your kid boundaries mm. with social media, right, when it's all-consuming, it's designed to keep us on the platform mm. as long as possible, yep. to keep scrolling, all the short content that's really just – 
having clearly a huge impact on, yeah. on young girls' minds. Well, and it, it, it creates dopamine right. hits. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm just as guilty of this as the next person. Yeah. But getting on after work and you're like, okay, I'll give myself 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. an hour later, nope, you're still scrolling because it's right. releasing dopamine. For yeah. sure. No, and I, I... And it's fake. <laughs> it's, fake. <laughs> it's like not real joy, right? Yeah. It's not like real happiness that you're finding. I think just as a caveat, um, I used to love Instagram, like love Instagram, was really into it, all the things. And when I moved to D.C. last summer, I turned off all notifications for Instagram. And I've noticed just my like mental clarity improve Mm -hmm. like no other. Like I'm not worried about or not not worried. That's maybe not the right word. But when those notifications pop up, you're like, oh, what's going on? Like who's liking my stuff? Who's calm? Whatever, you know, like who's sending me things? And just not even having that distraction anymore Mm -hmm. has has been really a stress reliever for me. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Okay. I actually have never had my notifications on. Good so it's like a nice little <laughs> surprise when you open the app. But I will say social media, definitely fake happiness is, is all on that, that those platforms. But Be Real has kind of I, I like what they're doing with that, where it's that yeah. opportunity to not filter everything, that opportunity to be like, I'm literally just sitting on my couch. I'm not in mm-hmm. Hawaii right now, yep. you know, living my best life, even though I might have posted a throwback Thursday photo <laughs> on my Instagram. So I, I will say there are efforts by some really cool people that are trying to make this less of a fake mm-hmm. environment because it really is this fake environment online that we've created and and like it just uh, super unhealthy but yeah. those types of efforts super amazing yeah absolutely well and of course we do have to acknowledge that you know this study was conducted in 2021 shortly after the pandemic well really when the pandemic was starting to wind down but in some states like california they still, they still thought they were yeah. in the middle of it and were acting as such and so you know, I, I think we're going to see the results for years to come. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about some of those areas in a moment here as, as it relates to education of these negative results from COVID. But, you know, you put kids behind a screen for even more of the day than they already are. Uh, and you separate them from friends and you take out so much of that social interaction and even activities like sports and it's not at all surprising that you see depression and you see mm-hmm. anxiety start to skyrocket. Yeah. Well, and so I, I think then I, it's pretty easy to – there's probably, you know, another 20 things that we can point to in society from, you know, how divided we are as a country and the way that news is reported um, that we could point to for why we're seeing this increase in depression, anxiety, we talk about the breakdown of the family, like there's so many factors. Um, but let's go ahead and take a minute and talk about the solutions. Um, because unfortunately, you know, Instagram's not going away tomorrow mm-hmm. and all the negative results of the pandemic, so many of them are still with us. And, you know, we still have all of these problems that remain in society. They're not just going to mm-hmm. disappear. So we have to figure out how to navigate them in such a way that we can still have joy and we can still find purpose in life and and not live in that state of perpetual depression and anxiety and fear. So um, what for you all, like what are things that practically work in your lives or that, that you think work well for other people that you've seen work well? Yeah, no. So I think for me in particular, it was this relearning process of socialization after the (laughs) pandemic. And it was a little prolonged because I had a remote job before coming to Heritage. Mm. And so I really was forced to find those opportunities of socializing with others. I I mean, I've talked about CrossFit before. It is a great community builder. (laughs) 
I have not drank the Kool-Aid that much, but it is a great community builder. Yeah, and, and I don't really, know. I think you've pretty much drank yeah, the Kool-Aid. I, did, <laughs> I definitely have. <laughs> but um, I, I like the big aspect of that was socializing and having mm. a unifying thing with others. Um, and I have been way more intentional this year with scheduling after work activities, mm. you know, kind of like extracurricular activities and, and looking for op- opportunities to really connect with people I might not have um, back when I was so used to the, the social norms that were pre-pandemic time even. Mm-hmm. So really leaning into friendships, meeting new people, moving my body yeah. um, regularly, it really does make a difference. Yeah, I mean, to double down on the social aspect of fitness, <laughs> we were talking before we hopped on, I taught indoor cycling for 11 years. And so that's a great way to build community. It doesn't matter what, you know, type of fitness it is, but finding people to uh, to share that that movement with is always special. But I'm going to take a little bit more of an isolationist approach <laughs> to my recommendations and doubling down on the turning off notifications, right? Mm-hmm. Setting boundaries for yourself when, when you are using social media. That's super important. I've recently, I've been in this email chain with a, a lot of friends of mine from Texas, thought leaders in Texas who have started this chain about living in analog. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been thinking a lot more about that. And so I don't, I've been reading a lot more, a lot of, a lot more fiction, sci-fi, like just different things than I normally would read Mm. and forcing myself to read paper books instead of using a Kindle Mm. or instead of reading things on my phone all the time. So printing things out more if I'm reading articles or editing things here at Heritage and things like that. And so really just kind of getting back to that tactical, basic opportunity for my mind to kind of find a mental escape in, in reading. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. And I think such a good reminder of like, wait, there's so many good books out there. Find one you like, pick it up. And that is such a great mental uh, besides social media or Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that for me that I have just learned over the years, and I feel like I, I'm reminded of it in so many seasons, but it's just the power of thankfulness, of actually practicing thankfulness. And I've had seasons where like every morning I made myself just wake up and write down three mm-hmm. things I was thankful for in it, it works so well when you're starting to feel like in that funk, in that place of, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all the things in my life that I don't like. And it's like pushing the brakes and being like, all right, no, 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 no. You have some really good things. Let's look at the good things and let's remind ourselves on a daily basis. And it kind of goes along with like the idea of, of positive self-talk of what are you saying to yourself throughout the day? How are you viewing Huge. yourself? How are you viewing the world around you? Um, and making yourself aware of how how you're essentially talking to yourself throughout the day you know when you mess up on a project is your first thought I'm stupid Mm. or is it okay this is an opportunity to do better next time and starting to monitor that because a lot of us just honestly aren't aware of those random thoughts that fly through our brain and you have to kind of train yourself to start to be aware and um, start to have more of a positive dialogue with your own Mm. heart and mind throughout the day and that makes a huge difference Um, and then I I will just say you know along the lines of finding community you know whether you find that in in a CrossFit <laughs> um, or, or at church, you know, finding your tribe is huge. And I know for, for girls in high school, that can be harder because you don't, may not have a car and mm. your parent might not be willing to drive you places. Um, so, you know, thinking about, okay, you know, how, how can I, um, you know, are, are there people right here in my own neighborhood that mm. I can develop relationships with? Um, and I will say prayer is is huge for this, and just personally in my in my own life, 
you know, always knowing, okay, I can go back to that place with the Lord in prayer and bring burdens and bring issues before him. And if I don't have anyone else to talk to, I can talk to him and he's listening. The Lord is listening. So um, if you have recommendations for those listening of things that have worked for you to get you out of funks, to get you out of that place of depression and anxiety, send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts and your suggestions. Yeah, that was Oh, man, you got me, Virginia. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, one thing I will say really fast that I have done in the last six months that has really helped me with that awareness is sometimes if you talk to yourself. So if I get into my head um, or I get upset about not doing well on a project, I'm like, Kristen, it's OK. You can do it. Like, this is fine, Kristen. Like, repeating your name to yourself, it force, yes. it's like having a conversation. And the it psychology is. behind it actually makes you more receptive, like, as if you're coaching yourself. Totally. So try that. It might yes. help. <laughs> I think too, sorry, I know we're totally dragging on about this topic, but it's like, we, it's important. In society today, we shy away from doing hard things. Like we always mm-hmm. want to take the easy path or, mm-hmm. or, you know, the path of least resistance, but doing hard things and accomplishing those things builds resilience in your brain. Totally. Right. And it teaches you that next time something hard comes up or next time you're feeling lonely or you're going through something, like you can get through it, you will get through it and you will come out a little bit stronger on mm-hmm. the other side. Absolutely. Love this. I feel encouraged already. (laughs) All right. Well, stay tuned because uh, up next, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into one of those issues that we talked about that happened uh, during COVID, sort of an outgrowth of that. And that relates to education and all of the issues that we are seeing with education. So stay tuned. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. In the last few years, America's education system has been attacked by woke extreme propaganda, harsh COVID-era mask and vaccine mandates, and the weaponization of government entities focused on indoctrinating the next generation of Americans. While parents across the country are standing up for their kids, the consequences of these policies remain ever-present. This week, Baltimore reported that zero students in 23 school districts across the city are proficient in math. (laughs) Take a second. Zero students. This isn't... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So depressing. (laughs) This isn't new for the state of Maryland, though. In January, the Maryland State Department of Education reported that math proficiency for grades 3 through 8 decreased from 33% in 2018 to 2019 to 22% in 2021 to 2022. And sadly, this trend is not unique to Maryland. Across the country, we're also seeing declines in math and reading proficiency. The National Assessment of Educational Progress reported that a majority of states saw scores decline for fourth through eighth graders in mathematics and reading between 2019 and 2022. That's not super surprising. Mm. Reports like these have many parents rightfully concerned about their kids' education, which is why we continue to see parents questioning the status quo with new educational options to ensure the best education for their children. What are your thoughts on reports like this one from Baltimore? And what do you guys think we can do to get students out of this post-pandemic lull? Crystal, this is like 
your bread, <laughs> this and, is your butter. bread and butter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For those who, who don't know, one of the many hats that Crystal wears here is leading one of our, we have campaigns here at Heritage Area, so we're really focused on, and she leads our, our education one. So she is in the weeds of all things education and all the problems in America. So, Crystal, we yeah. expect you to solve this problem all in the, the problems next 10 in minutes. America. Right? Right? Education yeah. queen. Right? Okay. Let me just um, get my notes. No. Um, uh, man, I mean, this is, this is really discouraging, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, what this is is not just a reflection of Maryland or Baltimore, but of a greater national trend. You mentioned the NAEP scores, which is mm-hmm. referred to as the national report card. You know, how are we doing as a nation on education? And and unfortunately, we are we are not doing well, right? I mean, I a big focus of mine is is Texas, right? Having just moved here from there, same thing. Sixty uh, percent of kids in Texas can't do math at grade level. Fifty percent can't read at grade level. Ninety-three percent of kids that fall behind cannot catch up. So this is huge, right? I mean, these kids that are coming out of this pandemic, and these are not necessarily pandemic-related issues, but have been magnified sure. by you know the attention placed on education during during the whole pandemic and shutdown and all the things, right? There are a lot of creative solutions being discussed out there. One of the biggest ones, and, and we can dive more into this, but uh, our educational savings accounts are, it's kind of a fancy way of saying school choice or really what it is, is empowering parents to make better decisions for their kid based on, you know, the type of education that might fit their kid the best. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're seeing kind of spread like wildfire across the country. Yeah, it is encouraging to see that positive movement forward. But wow, when you look at those numbers, it does make you stop and think, okay, how can we ever recover from this, Um, especially for kids that continue to just go to those same public schools Mm -hmm. where they're not receiving a great education. Um, And you mean, you kind of ask, okay, is this, is this teacher's fault? Like, is it the resources? Is it, you know, the the lack of support that teachers are getting? My thinking is it's probably a slew of issues. There's, there's no quick, easy one, one solution fix all. Um, but I think, you know, for the problem at hand, these kids, they're going to need a lot of tutoring. They're going to need extra help. They're going to need extra support. Mm-hmm. Um, and parents, in many ways, it, it is going to fall on the shoulders of the parents to take the time to to be looking for tutors for their kids, to be helping their kids with homework, because mm. um, this is not a problem that's going to get fixed overnight, unfortunately. Yeah, no. And I, I was listening to the Kevin Roberts show, quick plug, um, <laughs> and he had the best of education recently come mm-hmm. out. Um, and something I that really struck me was, y- you guys are so right, we can create these reforms that are, are targeting you know, the schools and teachers and all of that. But really, at the end of the day, the problem is that parents do not feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And these reforms, like the education savings account, which I think of HS- HSAs when yeah, I very hear similar that. model. Yeah. Yes. I, and that's that's brilliant. Um, when you see those types of reforms, it's really about the parents. And, and like mm-hmm. you said, Virginia, it does have to like start and end in the home where yeah. you have yeah. these parents that feel empowered to send their kids to the schools that they know they will succeed at, as well as helping them behind the scenes with their homework and being present in their educational experience. Um, For too long, the government has tried to Mm co-parent, and we are seeing the effects of that with um, with just the again pandemic lull. That's why these numbers are dropping, and it's just very encouraging to have someone like you, Crystal, working at the forefront of this to like really hold the government accountable, and also at the same time show parents you can do this. Like you have the power to do this, and here are the tools to do it. 
Yeah, and you know, it's even just taking it down to the ground level even more, right? It's this idea of parental empowerment and ESAs and, and, you know, using some of your tax dollars. And I hate the whole funding conversation because really it's about empowering the parents and and children to have better access to, Mm -hmm. to quality education that will work for them, right? But technically how it works, right, is these tax dollars follow kids to whatever learning opportunity is best for them. But what we saw that was really beautiful during the pandemic, if we're going to look for a silver lining, is that it's not just public, private schools, the end, right? You've got public charter schools, which are great. You know, in Texas, there's more than 60,000 kids on wait lists for charter schools. So that's just, we we have clearly a demand for different options and not enough options to go around. Mm-hmm. So how do we get creative here, right? What we saw during the pandemic were things like learning pods, you know, micro schools, homeschooling picking up. And that can be as simple as if you have a skill, but you don't have kids, you can offer to your neighborhood kids, like, hey, for one hour a week, you can come over to my house. We'll do a learning pod on this engineering thing or whatever mm-hmm. it is that your skill set is, mm-hmm. right? And so it can be really grassroots. It can be really community-oriented. It doesn't necessarily need to be, okay, if you're going to homeschool your kids, now all of a sudden you have to become a teacher. Mm, yeah. You have to become proficient and an expert in curriculum, right? There's so many resources out there for parents who do want to homeschool or do some kind of hybrid and keep their kids home like two days a week and send their kids to a charter school three days a week. There's, It's just really unique to see how creative both parents and communities and schools are getting mm-hmm. in fitting the needs of kids. Yeah. There's so many options now. There was definitely a time when I thought, oh, I would never homeschool my kids. But right. now I'm like, well, but now it's kind of easy in some ways when mm-hmm. you have all of these hybrid models and all these unique ways and there's so much support. I'm like, hmm. Maybe I would consider doing that. Yeah. And there's a lot of retired teachers even who picked up little opportunities for like learning pods where kids would get together with this teacher a couple hours a week during the pandemic online or in person and do their assignments with that teacher Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, it's just it's neat to see how creative we're getting because that's really what it's going to take to close that learning gap, not just from the pandemic, but from this long-term learning loss that we're seeing in in just the quality of of education that our kids are getting. Right. It's perpetuating grade after grade with the COVID pandemic. It's not just those last two or three years. If you were in California, it was three, but it's it's continually growing the gap. And to your point of the learning pods, that, I don't know, a childhood core memory just was unlocked. My mom actually, um, I I really struggled with calculus and there was a woman that was a a retired calculus teacher. And my mom was like, you're getting with this woman because you are passing and you are going to be prepared for college. And Mm -hmm. seeing that type of empowerment again, that's what we need more parents to feel like and have more resources so that they can actually make the moves to, to make those changes. Yeah. Yeah, a common uh, you know point of contention is that school choice will only benefit rich white people, right? The fact is they already have choice. Mm-hmm. Rich folks can send their kids to private schools. They can hire all the tutors, all the extra help that their kid might need mm-hmm. to succeed in, in their education. The folks that lose out the most are those that don't have those resources, yep. right? Yep. And so... Really, you're seeing this groundswell of parents from a lot of urban communities, some rural communities even, that are stepping up and saying, we want our kids to have access to the best of the best, too. Yeah. That might mean I live in the middle of nowhere, west or east Texas, or name your rural community here, but there's an AP calculus course that my kid can take online that's being offered at a school in Dallas, mm-hmm. and but it's not offered at our school. So for one hour a day, my kid comes home early and takes that AP calculus class. 
Like there's just, it's neat to see parents really taking back ownership and having Mm -hmm. agency over their kids' futures. Yeah, it really, really is. Well, on the issue of education, one of the big topics that we've talked a lot about on this show is women's sports in the field of education, Title IX, the need to be protecting opportunities for women in the education space, specifically sports at school. Um, And, you know, this is something that is it's foundational to the rights of women to have equal opportunity to compete in sports. And I was thinking about, you know, feminism and the feminist movement. And we we do see that there's some feminist organizations like the Women's Liberation Front. They're one of the few feminist groups that's actually been speaking up and saying men should not be allowed to compete in women's sports. But unfortunately, most feminists are or they're pretty quiet on this issue. Mm. Um, what do you all think the feminists who fought for our right to vote back in the day, what do you think that they would say about the progress that women have made and then what's happened now where women are losing scholarships, they're losing trophies to men in sporting events who claim that they're women? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to two former collegiate athletes. So and that's the thing. Home, yeah. Right? It, it's, like you all can imagine this. You can picture being out there competing and watching opportunities slip through your fingers because some guy at your school thought, mm, I think I'm a woman. Right. No, it's so frustrating. And I'm going to try to keep myself in check because <laughs> I am very competitive. Um, but I do remember in college we did make it to the championship game of uh for like our d3 soccer um conference and and we made it and we unfortunately lost in the last 10 minutes and obviously i am still not over it like i am still (laughs) not over it and to be honest that was a women's another female team that we played again had there been a man on that team or i know soccer is a very different sport than say swimming we we talked about riley Gaines last week Mm -hmm. um but i just it's really sad that it has come to this, that we have gotten to the point, feels like 1984, where, you know, gender doesn't seem to exist anymore and we can make excuses. And if someone says they feel a certain way, despite the science, we will validate that at the expense of others. It's just totally unfair. Um, it's taking away from the talents and beauty of, of women's sports, like across our country. And I, I just... As far as those who who fought for our rights, they're probably sitting there like, what is going on? Like, this isn't the America that I fought for and marched for and risked my life for. So, yeah, off my soapbox. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's a major facepalm moment, right? Just Mm. utterly disappointing, I think, for for those that that fought for for us to have that right and that ability. Yeah, it is. It really, it truly is. And I think the good thing is we're seeing a lot of states that recognize that and they're saying, whoa, whoa. Tap the brakes. Tap the brakes. (laughs) We're moving backwards. Let's let's hold up here. So um, according to the Pro Women's Group Save Services, there are 18 states that have enacted laws that are designed to protect women's sports and keep biological men from competing in women's sports. Um, A few of these states are Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Iowa, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. So mm-hmm. good job for those states for taking a stand. Um, and there's an additional uh, an additional group of states that have introduced legislation um, and are looking at passing laws that will protect women's sports. 
But let's just say that, you know, you all, you have a child who um, who is maybe in track or a swimmer, um, and you're living in a state where women's sports aren't protected. I mean, do you all think, would you move to a state like uh, one of these states like Mississippi or West Virginia? Or Texas, where, or absolutely. Texas, <laughs> <say less. laughs> where, where it is protected. I mean, is it reaching that level where you think some families are going to start saying, well, you know, my kid could lose out on a scholarship, you know, because we live in California and women's mm-hmm. sports are not protected. Mm. So we're going to pick up and move. Yeah, I mean, I think we're starting to see that with a lot of policy issues. I'm not sure on this one, to be honest, because it doesn't necessarily impact every family. There's not sure. a ton of like, you know, there's there's some families that just have guys. But I think for me personally, I'm from Illinois and I noticed that they weren't on either list, um, <laughs> which is pretty discouraging. Um, yeah. Let's let's go, Dick Durbin. I'm um, just kidding. That wasn't me lobbying. But um, <laughs> but I I think, yeah, it, it there comes a point where you're we're kind of going back to the education. You yeah. want the best for your child. Mm-hmm. You want to ensure that they feel empowered. And I didn't even think about the scholarship side of it because it it's like not even something that I can feasibly understand that is more simple than that. Yeah. Really. It's and kind it's, of like, what did yeah. you expect? Yeah. It's not a right left issue, right? This is just straight up a biological issue. I mean, you see this creeping into like MMA and fighting and you have men just literally beating up on women. And like, no one wants to see that. It's it's, it's so discomforting. So cringy. And it's right. very cringy. It's so uncomfortable. It's so cringy. It's uh, nothing about it is okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's nice to see that some states are really taking a stand on this. I would like to see more sports associations, the mm. NCAA, come out and and have a stance on this yep. because, I mean, especially now that you have NIL like name, image, and likeness things going on. Yeah. Um, this really could take away a lot of opportunity for women in sports. And there's there's already very limited opportunity for women in sports. Exactly. Right. So, exactly. It takes away opportunity, but it also risks the health of these women. Like, I tore both my ACLs playing soccer against women. And yeah. basically, I, I mean, I've played against men in soccer. It is not fun. I get beat up and pushed down. And I can't imagine sending one of my children like one of my daughters to go play and having a biological male play against them i'd say no yeah, you know absolutely no like we're we're not going to that game we're not going to that tournament we might not even be on that team if they are actively allowing men to participate 100%. because it's just it's not fair and it's not safe yeah that's it. At the end of the day, it's not fair and it's not safe. Well, we did see some positive movement forward. This is really fascinating. So you all probably remember Selena Soul. You might know that name. We've talked about her on this show, but she is a track athlete, former track athlete from the state of Connecticut. Um, and she's one of four girls who are part of a lawsuit that um, they were forced to compete against males in Connecticut in various track events. Um, and so they teamed up with the the legal organization Alliance Defending Freedom to try and get a policy change in the state of Connecticut. Well, so this rose through the courts, and ultimately um, they lost the case. Well, now the, um, the Second Circuit that um, had ruled against them, the Second Circuit announced on Monday that they are taking this case back up. So the case Seoul versus Connecticut Association of Schools, um, they're going to reconsider this case and there's going to be a rehearing and the facts are going to be brought back and they're going to consider whether or not 
essentially women's sports are protected in the state of Connecticut. And the reason why this is so unique is that Alliance Defending Freedom, they didn't request a rehearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a little bit unclear of why this is being reheard. But I'm really excited that it is. And I, I honestly think this this is a case that has gotten national attention, a lot of press. This is one of the first big cases on the issue. And so if we could see a different ruling in this case, it could have great implications for every single state across the nation that has or, or is considering or may consider implementing laws to protect women's sports. So we're going to keep you all updated on that lawsuit as it moves forward because It's really exciting to see that there's some positive progress. But we're going to talk a little bit more about women's sports in uh, in just a moment when we crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. So stay tuned. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash subscription, or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. Now it is that time once again, one of our favorite times here on the show, time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton is a pro surfer. She has a crazy story. If you're not familiar with it, she was attacked by a shark as a young woman. She lost an arm, but she kept surfing. Honestly, I feel like she's just America's darling of surfing. And this week, she came out in defense of women's sports. She she said that she won't compete in the upcoming World Surf League events because the World Surf League just changed its policy to allow men who say that they are women to compete with women in surf competition. So the new rule allows men to compete with women if the if the men have maintained low testosterone levels for 12 months. So Bethany, she posted two reels on her Instagram sharing what the World Surf League has done with their policy change and also saying that she's not going to compete under these new rules. So let's go ahead and listen to just a little bit of what Bethany had to say. We are seeing glimpses of male-bodied dominance in women's sports like running, swimming, and others. My hope is that if I ever have a daughter who is competing in surfing or any sport, and also for all the aspiring young generation of women, to have a bright and promising opportunity in her ambition to be the best of the best women in her sport. I personally won't be competing in or supporting the World Surf League if this rule remains. Thanks. So, Crystal, I know that you are a big fan of Bethany Hamilton. What were your thoughts when you heard her take a stand on this issue? Frankly, I was really proud of her, (laughs) right? I mean, any of these women who have stood up against what is going on with women's sports and this fact that biological men can compete against them, it's it takes a lot of courage. And so first and foremost, thank you for stepping up and, and defending, you know, what it means to be a female athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, you know, I grew up in a small little beach town in California, the only stop uh, in North America for the world tour of surfing. And so this this is really near and dear to my heart. She has gone through so much. We talked about resilience earlier in the show, going through hard things, coming out stronger on the other side. This is a woman who is missing an arm from a shark attack, right? And so she already has 
a, a disadvantage when it comes to the sport. And now you're layering in a whole other level of just unfairness, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I, I was really pleased to see her stand up mm-hmm. and, and defend this. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking, to uh, when we highlighted – um, Riley Gaines last week and we found her problematic one of the week. One of the things that she said when we talked to her was that she was so tired of professional athletes come or, you know, other collegiate athletes coming up to her and saying, Oh, thank you for mm-hmm. speaking out. And she was like, Well, why aren't why aren't you speaking out? Mm-hmm. Like I can't be the only one here yeah. doing this. And so I love that someone who has a platform as big as Bethany Hamilton, who's had a movie made about her, yeah. she's drawing a line in the sand and she's getting a lot of pushback for it. People are are upset with her, uh, but she's not backing down. She's saying, you know, this is truth, and I'm going to stand by truth, and I'm going to stand up for for women who don't have a voice and a platform like I do. Yeah, and I think what's really cool is she could have, after the shark attack, kind of just thrown in the towel. That's mm-hmm. a terrible pun. But um, and just given up on her her you know surfing career. And I think that's what makes this message so much more powerful is she had the opportunity to say, I have this adversity that I'm facing, and I'm done. And she didn't. And so yeah. she's not she's not saying this because she thinks it's solely just, you know, a political issue. She's saying it because it is changing women's sports mm-hmm. and it is taking away and devaluing women. And that is unacceptable at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's worth the fight. Yeah, worth the, it's fight. Worth the fight. Ooh, chills. Well, congrats to Bethany Hamilton for being this week's Problematic Woman of the Week. And Crystal, thanks for joining us today. This Thank has been you. so fun. So I love having you on. But with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, oh, we need your support in the podcast world. So take a minute, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you like to listen. We love hearing your feedback and it makes a huge difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.